Charles Spurgeon, the uh, famous Baptist preacher, said that Psalm 127 is for parents what Proverbs is for wisdom or what Ecclesiastes is for life. If you want to know what a proverb would be like if you put it in a psalm form, this is Psalm 127. It is a proverb from the book of Proverbs expanded into a psalm form. It's a proverb meant to be sung and it's a proverb about parenting. In fact, before we read it, understand this. This is part of a group of psalms that is songs of ascent. And those are songs that you would sing with your family while you were going to visit the temple. There are 15 of those Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134. And those songs were memorized even by kids and they would be sung as you're doing a long journey, several days of a journey. This is the journey where Jesus gets separated from his family, that kind of journey. You would sing these with your family as you're going to the temple. And so you've had long car rides, I'm sure, right? (laughs) You know the dynamic in the long car rides. Uh, you know that it's not all festive and fun. Before iPads, do you remember the car rides before iPads? You had to talk to each other and uh, there might be some strife and some he's on my side of the car and no, he's not. She's on my side of the car and don't make me come back there. I will split this car in half and then you'll all be sorry. So it's interesting that these two Psalms, 127 and 128, are songs about how neat, how blessed a family is. So while the kids are fighting on the back of the camel, while they won't stay on the right side of the hump, there's a song to sing about what a joy children are. (laughs) And so let's listen as I read it. Psalm 127, a song of ascent. It's of Solomon. Unless Yahweh builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. And Psalm has a couple basic points. Unless God builds the house, the person who's working and sweating and hitting the nails in is working in vain. Unless God guards the city, the watchman who's on the wall is watching in vain. In other words, if God is not protecting the city, it doesn't matter how many watchmen you have. And the city one is, is obvious there at the end of verse one. It's, it's kind of obvious. I mean, a, a watchman, night watchman cannot stop an earthquake. A night watchman cannot sound an alarm for a volcano erupting. You see the the footage from Hawaii and the lava coming down and one of the neighborhoods that gets hit by the lava is a very uh, high-end neighborhood with its own gated community and and security staff and all that. But a security staff cannot stop the lava at the gate (laughs) without a proper ID or have it fill out the license plate form. It's, It's powerless to stop it. A watchman can't stop a tsunami. There's certain limits to what a watchman can do. And so unless God protects a city, those who are trying to protect it themselves, it's a, it's a ridiculous effort. And the same analogy is true with the family. And that's where the Lord is, is going with this through his word. Unless it is God who is building the family, the parents who strive to build it are working in vain. It doesn't mean their work is meaningless. It just means it won't produce the results. <laughs> And then in verse two, there's even the analogy of of farming. 
The farmer gets up early and works hard. The farmer, farmer sweats and he works under the sun and he works in season and he plants and he, he waters and he cultivates his crops so that he can eat and he worries about his crop. But the farmer doesn't even understand how a seed works. A farmer doesn't understand how a seed germinates. There was a, an article recently in the news about some of the leading uh, uh, biologists in, in the world were saying it's still a big mystery how seeds know which way is up versus down. I mean, there's a lot of theories on it, but even today, people don't understand the exact way seeds grow, much less a farmer thousands of years ago. And so the point is this, farmers have to work, watchers have to watch, parents have to parent, and now you go backwards. Unless the Lord causes the crops to grow, the farmer will be hungry. Unless the, the Lord protects the city, the watchman is doing nothing. And unless the Lord blesses and strengthens the family, the parents are spinning his wheels. In fact, verse one, it says, unless Yahweh builds the house. You understand, I, I hope that in Solomon's writing, especially in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the term house refers to the family, not the actual house. So it's not a picturing here, you know, the actual place you live in. It's describing the building of the family unit. Unless the family is built for God's glory, the people who are working on it are wasting their time. And so you can pause right now and ask, who are the builders of the family? And clearly that's the parents. The parents are the one who are laboring in the family. The, the dad is out working, the mom is at home raising, and together they are partnering to, to nurture and raise these kids. They're the ones who are laboring for it. And the scripture says, unless it is God who is at work in the family, the parents, the, the builders, are working in vain. And that word vain means it's not going to produce a result. Solomon didn't have the idiom of spinning the wheels, but that's what he would have used. And thus, you see, the children are not the fruit of chance, but of God. And, and you know, some people think that this psalm is bipolar here, that it jumps in verse 1 and 2 about the sovereignty of God over the world. In verse 3, now for something totally different. Children are a heritage from the Lord, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, or the children's of one youth, as if the two don't have anything to do with each other. But they're very closely connected. Unless God is the one building the family, unless the parents are building the family for God's glory then children will not be a heritage from the Lord. They will not be arrows in the, the hand of the warrior. And if you think about that analogy there, a, a warrior is going out to battle and he's got his, his sack of arrows, his quiver, and is, is filled with arrows for the battle. His arrows are his defense. It's what he goes to war with. And this, this image here is of the, the family that fears God, the family that is being built by God going to war against the world. Now, what are the weapons God has given the family to take on the world? In this instance, it's children. Children are the arrows. At the end of the psalm, the person could be surrounded by his enemies who are hurling insults and accusations against him, but he won't be put to shame because he's got his children with him. It's this basic idea. It doesn't matter what the world says against you. You come home and you have your family and your family is happy and well. You know, the accusations of enemies can kind of roll off your back. Because the Lord is the one building your family. The truth is, in the Old Testament, children were good and a blessing, and childlessness 
was bad. And in our culture, it's muted that a little bit. You know, there's lots of people who voluntarily not, decide not to have children. There are lots of families that try to have children but are, are unable to for various reasons. And so it gets this Old Testament concept of children being a blessing and, and, and barrenness being a, a burden or, or a curse is kind of muted in our culture, largely out of politeness. But you have to have your mind in that world to understand what the psalm is saying. That it is an extreme blessing that the Lord would grow a family. It's an extreme blessing the Lord would give a family children. It doesn't mean that children are all good all the time, as we just sang. No, that was God. God is all good all the time. It doesn't mean children are all good all the time. If you're a parent, you know this. Aristotle, in his book called Politics, has a very long section where he argues with himself about whether or not children are good or bad. <laughs> and he decides that ultimately having, lots, having one or two children is okay, but having lots of children is a curse, he says. <laughs> Unless, he has a little footnote, Aristotle does, lots of children can be acceptable and they can actually be good, but only if the children have the miraculous gift of decorum and manners. Okay, Aristotle. And you know this as a parent. Children don't just come with manners. <laughs> That's not, they're, they're born with those little hats and those little blankets, at least in all the movies, but in real life... <laughs> They're not born with manners. They're not born with decorum. They're not born with the fear of the Lord. And so the blessing of children is achieved like the farmer and like the safety of the city is achieved through the watchman and the food for the farmer in verse two is achieved through work. The blessing of the family is achieved through diligence. It's achieved through training children. It's achieved through raising children about how to live. Only then will they be a blessing. Children are automatically a blessing. Even Aristotle knew that. It has to be labored into. You have to build your family. It doesn't come naturally. Derek Kidner, a commentator, writes, quote, apart from the Lord, it's not that your work will fail as much as it simply won't lead anywhere. The parents who work apart from the Lord have a family that's not going anywhere. And the reverse is true here as well. God has appointed means to the end. If the end is his glory and his blessing in your family, the means is the training and the raising and the building is the language in verse one of the children. This constant tending. It's so easy to, for parents to say, you know what, because God is sovereign over salvation, I can't work for my kid's salvation. I can't labor for their salvation because after all, it's God who saves, right? Well, Apply that logic to the other two analogies in this psalm. What about the watchman who would say, I don't need to be in the lookout for bad guys because it's God who protects the city. I'm going to punch in, go home and sleep because after all, God is on the lookout. That watchman would be a fired watchman. <laughs> or the farmer who says, I'm not going to plant crops because after all, it's God who causes the crops to grow. I'm just going to throw my seeds out my window and go home and take a nap. That would be a hungry farmer. And so it is with the parents. You know it's the, God, it's the Lord who saves. It's the Lord who gives salvation. But there's still the building in verse 1. The efforts, the, the rising up early in verse 2. In verse 3, there's this fruit that comes as a reward. The reward to your labor. It's faithful, faithful labor. What does no good as a parent is worry. 
In fact, it's a sin to worry. Jesus says not to do it. It's foolish for the farmer to worry. It's foolish for the watchman to worry. It's foolish for the parent to worry. But what is effective is labor. It is work as long as it is done in the Lord. So the main question of the psalm from verse 1, what does it mean to have the Lord build the house? So I mentioned in the Old Testament, a house refers to the family. There's some basic building blocks in society, namely nations and families. Nations check evil. Families cultivate morality and cultivate righteousness. God gives nations to the earth not to advance morality, but to check wickedness. And God gives families to the earth to advance morality and as a form of common grace. And the point here is that unless a family is instilling virtue and morality and godliness in their children, then they're spinning their wheels. And that makes sense. We understand that the Christian family has a different goal, a different agenda, a different pattern than those families who are outside of Christ. And so you have to ask yourself, how am I supposed to be building my house? Because unless I'm doing it in the Lord, I'm doing it in vain. And that's the main point of this psalm. For you to recognize, unless you are intentionally building your family in Christ, then you are not building a family that will last or that will endure or that will be a blessing to you. If your goal in parenting is just to get through the the little years until they can go off to school on their own and then get through those years until you have the house to yourself, it's in vain that you're working because you're not building them in the Lord. And they will not turn out to be a blessing to you. Children will not be a blessing unless you work on them in the Lord. If you think about ways our culture raises kids, you see how they turn out to be a curse and not a blessing. So common in the world to spoil children, to give them whatever they want. (laughs) I hear parents say sometimes, especially outside of the church, hear parents say sometimes, you know, I I just can't tell my kids no. I can't tell them no. You know, they'll ask her something. I know it's not a good idea to give it to them, but then they just wear me down. They ask over and over again, and I just, you know, you know how he is. He just keeps asking for it, and so it's easier just to give it to him. Our parents who refuse to spank their children in the world, that's, the, that's typical. A parent who says, oh, I can't spank my kids because, you know, spanking doesn't work on my kids. You know, if you're a kid in here, does spanking work on you? I mean, no kid's going to say yes, and I just love it. But that's the attitude in the world. I can't spank my kids because it doesn't work. You should know my kids. I mean, spanking, my kids get angry when they get spanked. Well, you don't say. <laughs> you don't say. Really. Shocking. But that's a, that's a, I had one parent say, you know, my kids see the hypocrisy in spanking. The, you know, the brother hits the sister and the brother gets spanked for it. Well, he thinks it's hypocritical because he's getting spanked for hitting. You follow that logic? To which the response is, oh my goodness. No, you have to understand that discipline comes from authority. And if you can't receive discipline from authority, then you have no concept for even living in a world with rules and restrictions. Getting spanked is not the same thing as hitting your sister because spanking comes from authority. Parents are the authority. But in the world, that concept is gone. I mean, it seems axiomatic in the world to say, oh, the equality of parents and children is the same, and so a brother hitting the sister is the same as a parent spanking a child. It doesn't make any sense in the world. But in Christianity, we understand there is an authority structure in the family. And the world is common to micromanage children. 
to foster children's dependence upon the, the parents, to make all their decisions for them, to not let them out of your sight. Don't let them play by themselves. They might get hurt. They might make a bad choice. They might make a wrong turn. Don't let them explore. Let the parents solve all the problems for them. After all, they might make a mistake or to make excuses. To make excuses for kids. I'm saying in the world, I'm sure there would be no parents in the church that would act like this. <laughs> to make excuses for kids. I remember teaching uh, high school. I was a uh, uh, public high school teacher and I had given a test and there was a parent that wasn't happy with the way the test went down and uh, wanted to see me and I show up for a, a meeting with the vice principal of the school and the parent, I kid you not, brought a lawyer with them to this meeting. And so here I'm a high school Spanish teacher and I find myself in a, a meeting with a mom, a daughter, who was upset about and there was an extra credit assignment for going to a certain like extracurricular activity or something like that. I don't remember the details, but the daughter couldn't go because she had something different to go to and now I've got a lawyer and my vice principal looking at me. I did not, I did not handle this well, by the way. I just kind of glared at the lawyer for most of the meeting and when it came time for me to talk, I asked this question. I'm surprised I didn't get fired for this. I asked the attorney, did you expect to be doing this when you went to law school? <laughs> I, know. I mean, I was really curious. <laughs> Is, was this the ambition right here? Suing some high school teacher and the vice principal uh, ended the meeting at that point. And that was over. But he, he did get back to me later and say he looked up the guy and the guy wasn't even a real lawyer, which is probably why I didn't answer. So, <laughs> Making excuses for the kids, explaining to, to parents and teachers and neighbors why your kid wasn't, you know, he, the mistakes aren't really his. It's all our fault. Treating kids like they're the center of the world, boiling down to structuring your life. It boils down to this distinction. Do your children run your life or do you run theirs? <laughs> Because there's a flowchart involved in a family. Parents who desire the perfect kid, the quote, I want my kid to be above average in every category, parent. Set unrealistic expectations for the kids, make sure the kids know about them, constantly remind them when they don't measure up. Closely, of course, connected to criticizing them at every turn. And that's the kind of parenting that is very common in the world. And you can see if you have that approach to parenting, you are parenting in vain. If you teach your kids they're the center of the world, if you teach your kids that they're the most important things in the world, if you teach your kids that they can never make mistakes, that mommy or daddy will always be there to bail them out when they make mistakes, they will not get hurt. At least if I'm watching you, you won't make a mistake and you won't get hurt. You won't get spanked. You'll get what you ask for. You can see how building a house that way is spinning your wheels. What a contrast with Psalm 127 that when Yahweh builds the house, there will be a blessing involved. When Yahweh builds the house, there will be in verse two even sleep. I mean, that's a fantastic dream for some parents. <laughs> so what is the biblical model of the family? It's borrowed from the farmer. You plant the word, you water and you weed. You plant the word in the heart, you water and you nurture the word and you weed out things that are dangerous. This is Proverbs 22, verse six. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he's old, he won't depart from it. And that's not a guarantee, it's a proverb. It doesn't mean 100% of the time, if, you know, if, a parent, if a kid walks away from the faith, it's because he wasn't parented, right? That's not true. It's a general principle in life though, that as parents, if you train up your children how they're supposed to live, generally speaking, it's a, it's a proverb, they won't depart from it. 
That lets you know what the goal of Christian parenting is. The goal of Christian parenting is the child's salvation, which is not under your control. You can't make them be saved, but you understand. As we read this morning in James 1 verse uh, 21, that the word is implanted in the heart and is able to save. So your goal as parents is to put the word of God in the children's hearts. That's your goal. You want the word of God to take residence there. You want children to see their sin. You want them to understand authority and you want them to understand that God is their authority and the word of God is what will strengthen their life. I've broken this down just to four little descriptions. I, I want to get you out of here soon before there's rioting and there's cookies involved in a few minutes too. So after all, you can't tell your kids no to that. Here's the four imperatives about this, four descriptions of how to build your house in the Lord. First, raise your children. Raise your children. I just feel like I have to say this. It should be the parents who are raising the kids. It should be the parents who are laboring in the life of their children. The children are given to you by the Lord. They're given to you by the Lord. Grandparents are a blessing from the Lord. Godly neighbors are a blessing from the Lord. Uh, uh, widows and single people in the church are a blessing from the Lord that can help you as you, you raise your kids. There's all kinds of blessings the Lord gives you to help you raise your kids. But at the end of the day, there helps to you to help you raise your kids, not to farm your kids out or staff them out, but it's you. It's the mom and the dad, and I think God's pattern for the family is specifically the mom here who is nurturing and encouraging and raising and training the children up. I know there's scenarios in life, especially where there's divorce and there's, there's death, where, where moms have to work, but that should be the exception. It should be the pattern in families, generally speaking. Again, every family is different and there's different situations where circumstances don't allow, but as a general principle, by the design, it should be the woman who has a heart for home, Titus 2, who is raising and training up her children. Secondly, you should raise your children differently from the world. I mentioned this earlier. Christian families have different priorities, different values, different patterns, different structures. We're called by God to be different than the world. Just as Israel was supposed to be different from the nations around her. The world puts pressure on families and that pressure can mount and mount. And believe me, it's coming from a different source than God. And God will eventually cause you to choose, am I gonna raise my family according to God's pattern or the world's pattern? Because the world wants you to do things with your kids. The world wants your kids to be in certain sports all the time. The world wants your kids to go to certain schools all the time. The world wants your kids to have a certain worldview. I mean, our culture particularly is so bent on instilling a worldview into children that is different than the Christian worldview. And it's not uh, confined just to images of, of morality or concepts of morality. It's a whole worldview about what authority is and where it comes from. And so you're forced to say, am I going to let the culture design my house and give me the blueprint for it? Or is God's word going to give me the blueprint for it? Am I building a family based on God's pattern or the world's pattern? And once you realize that question is coming, you should head it off at the pass. Say, I'm going to be faithful to build my family according to God's pattern, not the world's pattern. And you come to terms with that early on. You understand that your kids are not going to be both simultaneously the godly kids and the cool kids at school. It's not gonna happen. Your kids are not gonna be well thought of by the world and by the Lord. 
They're going to miss things at school that all the other kids are doing. They're not gonna see the same shows and movies that other kids see or have the same books that other kids have. That's just gonna be the reality of your life. And the sooner you come to terms with that, the more you can get ahead of that in how you raise your children. Here's the most obvious example I can think of. Take a cell phone. 75%, I read this afternoon, 75% of children have tablets in the car with internet access. And the average age, this was tweeted out by Bill Gates, by the way, so it's got to be true. The average age of a child getting a smartphone is 10 years old. That's the average age for a smartphone. The most common age for a child to get their first smartphone is six years old. So there's some parents that are holding out to make six years old the most, and that's because they start school. They start school, they need the phone, of course, at school. The phone has internet access, and I mean, Ask yourself this, would you trust yourself in a library with all kinds of illicit images and all kinds of inappropriate things to look at? Would you trust yourself just to to have them all in your house and not look at them? Probably not a good idea. You think, I shouldn't look at those things. I'm not gonna keep them in my house, probably. And you're an adult. Imagine how strange it would be to say, you know what, my child has the willpower and the self-control to have easier access than that but not to look at things. And the justification is, you know what? I have to give my kid a smartphone because everybody else has one. What if they need me? Well, come on. You know, that's, that goes back to the very beginning. Are you going to allow your kids to wear you down with, oh, they just want it so bad. They keep talking about it, and I just can't stand that my kid, listen, if I don't give my kid what all the other kids have, they're going to grow up, and they're not going to like Jesus because because of Jesus, they don't get the same toys everybody else has, is bad thinking. You have to prepare yourself for the fact that every kid in my class has one is going to be the reality of your parenting life. (laughs) So raise your children. Secondly, raise them different from the world. I have all kinds of other examples here, which we won't. Going to thirdly, very practical thing as far as the Lord building the house. Have some concept of family devotionals. Have some concept of family devotionals. And I like having this conversation with the kids in here right now. I love it. I remember sitting in the airplane once and I asked the person next to me uh, what she thought it, it took to go to heaven. And she said, oh, the most important thing is to teach your kids the Ten Commandments. And her daughter, 12-year-old daughter, was sitting next to her and says, mom, you don't teach us those. Loved it. It was, it was classic. <laughs> I would hope, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm literally preaching to the choir right here. <laughs> this is the expression, preaching to the choir. Here it is. But I would hope that you're having family devotionals with your family. You know, there's not a verse that says family devotionals, but it's impossible for me to conceive how you can train up your children in the Lord if you don't have a time when you're talking to them about the Lord. The Bible doesn't say a family devotional needs to be 15 minutes. It needs to be every night before dinner or after dinner or in the morning or as they're getting their pajamas on. It doesn't say any of that kind of stuff. But the Bible tells you to train up your children in how they should live, that you instill the word of God into them, that you read the Bible with them, that you pray with them, that you talk to them about Jesus. Now, the disappointment, I'll get to that next. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 and 8. You shall teach your children diligently. You shall teach these truths diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. This should be the pattern of your life. The normal pattern of your life should be talking to your kids about the Lord. 
praying with them. I hope your kids see you pray. I hope your kids pray with you. I hope your kids understand this concept that your family is different because of this book. Just practically, here's what we do in, in our family. In our family, generally, we do different things, but generally in, in the mornings, uh, part of homeschool is uh, Deidre will read the girls a devotional from, from a book and they'll talk about that. In the evenings is where we do more of our family thing. In the evenings, uh, I'll read a Bible passage. I'll usually have the two younger girls and Deidre will have the older girl and she's going through a book called Theology, Theology right now with them. And I'll read to the younger two girls. We'll sing together a song. We'll pray together. And that's our typical way of doing it. Five, 10, 15. If they're putting off bedtime, 30 minutes. <laughs> and it's never too late to start this. If your kids are in high school and you've never done this, you can start it. Tonight, so you can start it. It's, there's no magic formula. You take a Bible, read a psalm, and ask two questions that come to your mind about it with your kids, and then pray about the answers to those questions and say, love you, see you in the morning. <laughs> it's not that difficult. But I pray that, that would be marked in our church, that your kids would see you reading and see you praying the Bible with them. So raise your kids. Differently in the world, family devotionals, finally discipline. Discipline, because the concept of weeding, there will be threats to your children that grow up. You want to weed them. The farmer weeds. The watchman, to use the analogies of Psalm 127, is on the lookout for bad guys. A parent needs to be on the lookout for danger, for bad guys, for snakes in the garden, so to speak. You're not, and you want to correct that in your children's life. You discipline them. Now, it's different in all ages. With, with younger kids and elementary school kids, I think that often looks like, like spanking them, of course, but you have to have in your mind that you're not punishing sin. It is God who punishes sin. Parents don't punish sin. Parents correct, and parents expose hard attitudes. Punishing sin is God's job. It's the parent's job to train your children to see their heart attitudes and how it overflows into their life. You know, God gave you children that are sinners. You understand that, right? <laughs> They came out of the box broken and there's no warranty. You can't bring them back. It's your job as a parent to help them realize their sinful hearts, to help them realize that sin makes them do dumb things, sinful things, that sin hurts, but that God forgives, and to help them learn that there's discipline. Again, I, I know the children are here tonight, but I hope you love your children enough to discipline them. You know, if you're... I mean, it's a blessing to have parents that care about their kids enough to discipline them. And of course, as kids grow, grow older, they grow out of spankings, obviously, but they grow into different kinds of discipline. And a wise parent knows his kids well enough to know what discipline affects their hearts and exposes to them their evil ways. And again, it's designed to keep them safe and to make them see that they're a sinner. This is why you don't punish them for their sin. Again, that's God's job. You punish them for their, their, you discipline them for their hearts. You correct the motivations of their hearts. You ask questions. Why did you do that? Do you understand why that's sin? Do you understand that discipline is designed to help you realize that sin and that sin hurts? You know, if a, if a kid comes away, if a kid grows up and he leaves your house knowing just these two basic truths, that God forgives through Jesus Christ and sin hurts, <laughs> that's building your house in the Lord right there. I think when a kid is surrounded by that kind of loving discipline, that they understand that Christians aren't perfect, but they are forgiven. Christians aren't perfect. Christian families aren't perfect. 
but they live their lives together in the church. The house is built together in the city, to use the language of Psalm 127, and children become a blessing. I heard from two different pastors in this last week alone. One who, at different, different churches, not Emmanuel. One whose kid turned 17 and said, Christians are hypocrites, I'm done with the church. Another whose child grew up and said, I'm gonna go to a different church because it fosters deeper relationships. You know, both of those children kind of in a way left the church they grew up at. But what differences with a heart that has been taught that the important thing is having it together on the outside, you're exposed to hypocrisy in the church, and you, you, revol- you revolt, you rebel. Versus the heart that is taught there's a, a deep abiding truth in Christianity, and yes, this church has problems, but there's a truth in Christ that's deeper than that. I could be frustrated with the church. I could be frustrated with the culture in the church. That's okay. I'm not leaving Christ. That is a seed that is planted deep in the heart. And that would be a joy for a parent. Maybe not if you're a pastor, but if you're not a pastor, for your parents to come to you, you know, I'm changing churches because I can grow more in the Lord in this other place. What a joy that would be. You know, salvation is never a guarantee. You understand that? Because it's the Lord who builds the house. But as we learned this morning, the word implanted is able to save the soul. I hope you love your children enough to study them, raise them, discipline them, care for them, foster their spiritual growth, water, encourage things in them that are good and noble and biblical, and love them enough to turn away weeds, to keep danger, spiritual danger from encroaching in their life and turn them over to the Lord. Because you know, unless Yahweh builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Lord, we're thankful that you are the one who builds the house. Children are a gift from you, and we don't want to face the world unarmed. We want our our quiver full of arrows. We want to be able to do a frontal assault on the gates of hell. We want to take on this world, and we need an army to do it. So Lord, we're thankful for this church that raises up soldiers for Christ, and we're thankful for our family, the unit where you've given us these children. We know these children belong to you. As, as Hannah said, these children are not ours. <laughs> they live in our house. They have our names. They look like us, but they belong to you. So Lord, we pray that we would be found good stewards as we raise our children. I pray for courage in families in this room. I pray for courage in leadership from the husbands to be involved in family devotionals, to have oversight of how their children are being raised, to take an interest in them, to be assertive and humble enough to lead their family in the word. I pray for moms who are are loving and nurturous and caring enough to foster genuine spiritual growth in their children. I pray for families that don't have both a mom and a dad through divorce or, or death or other circumstances, military service, all the different circumstances in this world. Lord, I pray that those children would know the truth about their parents, that they love them and care for them, and that the parents would have wisdom enough to apply these principles in their own context. Well, we pray for grace as we talk about these things, and we pray for courage to implement them in our families. We can always do better as parents, Lord. I can do better. We can all do better as we parent our kids. So Lord, help us grow in the knowledge of your word and of your will. 
as we seek to raise children that honor you. We know that unless you are doing this, we cannot do this ourselves. And so we, in a very real sense, are entirely dependent upon you. We don't want to be watchmen who watch in vain, farmers who plant in vain, or parents who parent in vain. We want to build our families in the truth. Help us do that, Lord. Help us see the greatness of Jesus Christ in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Emmanuel with Pastor Jesse Johnson. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.